buzz 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 Welcome to Nature Centered, a podcast from Wild Birds Unlimited about feeding the birds and enjoying nature right in your own backyard. Here are your hosts, naturalist John Schaust and Brian Cunningham. Hi, I'm John Schaust. And I am Brian Cunningham. And welcome to episode number 52 of the Nature Centered Podcast. Today, spring secrets. Uh oh. And some setups. Hey, what's going on in spring with the birds and in your yard, or what could be going on? And we'll also have a little bit of information about a barred owl camera. <laughs> I think John's getting in the spirit with the uh, the barred owl cam here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Brian, lots to talk about. Man, oh man, we could do the whole show just what's been going on in our own backyards and in our area. Oh, yeah. With spring popping out all over, we talked a little bit about it the uh, last episode, but obviously some time has passed and other things has happened and you and I've had a chance to get out together and, and do some birding in regards to getting ready for a, a hike that uh, a tour that we're getting ready to lead. Yes. So lots to talk about. Lots going on. You know, really enjoying my yard this spring as everything's popping and all the flowers are coming up and all the birds are singing. My juncos are still singing. I really expect that they're going to be gone soon, but excited to see three golden crowned kinglets hanging around i'm hanging around the backyard and they're hanging around near me and doing their talking i love that uh you know that was one of the cool things that you and i had on that uh pre-hike that we were you know doing the scouting for the the birding trip we're going to lead um kinglets were pretty frequent you know we were running across kinglets left and right and yes you know they see the the golden crown kinglet where you actually see that the golden, golden crown, crown and that, look, that little red spot in the middle of the, you know, that little stripe in the middle of the crown that's uh, uh, on top of the gold. That's something you don't get to see that often, it seems like. And no. man, oh man, every bird, it seemed like every bird we were seeing, bingo, there it was. So, man, it that was, was a It treat. was almost like the, a golden sunset when everything yeah. is just so golden and seems like it's on fire. Or a tequila that's sunrise. That's how beautiful that was. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, tequila sunrise. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, but you know, we we had it was cold. Man, we were miserable. Oh. The wind was whipping. It was down below freezing. It was a frigid, frigid day. And yet, even with that, and we were out. But how? Mm, about at, at least three and a half hours. Forty mile an hour gusts. By the time we got done, I felt like what Jack Nicholson in The Shining. I, I hope I hope my axe didn't scare you. <laughs> <laughs> frozen in the snow. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. I'm like all I can think about is being frozen and thinking, oh, you need Olaf. He loves warm hugs. He'll warm you up. <laughs> but we had a lot of really good early spring birds. Uh, got the yes. hermit thrush, and yes. that was cool. Meadowlarks were all over this particular area with the fields. Um, oh, and the meadowlarks. I love to be able to be in a place. You know you have great grasslands or prairies when you have meadowlarks out there. And we had more than one. Yeah. So love to hear that. Yeah. Eastern Phoebes mm -hmm. showed up. They were, they were just starting to come back yeah. and talking. 
Yeah, so we we had an awesome awesome day despite being frozen to death. Yes. <laughs> it's one of those things that when you finally are done and your hands can hardly operate your binoculars anymore, you know it, you know it's time to go in. Yeah. <laughs> but it was lots of fun. It's always good getting out and doing bird watching and even with this scouting out an area to to lead a bird walk later. Always yeah, fun. yeah, and I was just trying to think of all the birds. We had sandhill cranes, we had uh, great blue herons, great yeah, blue herons, killdeer, and lots and lots of different. What did we end up species wise? I don't remember. Forty six. Uh, Forty six yeah. species. Yeah, just about, about in there. Uh, what, what was amazing was it took us until a, that third hour to finally get some chickadees. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. you think that uh, where, where chickadees live, they're they're generally pretty common to find. But yeah. that that day, I think those little buggers were hiding <laughs> in, they in were the smart. thickets, yeah. and they were like, "Too much wind, I'm out." Stay out of the wind. <laughs> yeah, we did have yellow-bellied sapsucker, another good bird. Yeah, that was that so, was pretty excellent. Yeah, we had kingfishers. Yeah, kingfisher yeah. calling. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. About the same thing going on in my yard. Not not a lot of difference. Uh, again, like you're saying, the the wildflowers are battling the cold and and you know still emerging, coming up, yep, getting yep, taller. Yep. Some of them are flowering. Some of them are just popping their heads out of the out of the ground right now. The non-natives, our forsythia is and and daffodils are putting on the show for those folks that are into into the non-native stuff but you know it's it's it's, it's the time of the year it's, it's kind of very cool to see all yes, the, yes. the daffodils uh, sprouting and the and the persithia blooming that bright yellow bloom of theirs so well Lots yeah of that non-native that's... comment of yours yeah, yeah, yeah hearkening I... <laughs> back to our last habitat can you really make a difference episode and planting native plants yeah yeah but I it's apolog- all i apologize for that sometimes it's you know <laughs> but you know it we is, told everyone are, it doesn't have to be 100% natives, and yeah. you know, let's let's minimize the non-natives. Well, so. it's hard, man. When you <laughs> when you grew up your entire life, and and right around this time of year, and Easter, and various other things, and you know, you're used to those things happening. Yes. You look for the percentage of blooming every year. You look for the the daffodils and the tulips to bloom every year. And you know, just because they're not natives, it still doesn't mean you don't like really enjoy seeing them and look for them every spring. You've been doing it your entire life, so yeah, yeah it's not it's not a bad thing. It really yeah. is. As long as you supplement with some really good native stuff in your yard, if you can, it, it is a balance. Yeah, it yep. is a balance. Exactly. Talking about some of those secrets that we alluded to. <laughs> mm-hmm. what, are, what are those things that are happening that some folks might not typically know about or see or discover in their yards this time of year that we can help them look for? I think that's a great idea because one of those things that I'm really looking forward to are those birds that are coming back that really enjoy nectar and jelly. Oh. Really we looking can, forward to that. We we can we can actually blend the two topics together. We can do the secrets and we can do the setups at the same time because yeah. there are a lot of birds. You know, if, if we say you know nectar, I mean, putting out your hummingbird feeder, which is many of this, it's, it, it's past time for you to get your your nectar feeder out. For some of us, it's just getting right about that exact time we want to start putting it out, and and people in the north might you know might delay a little bit longer than than. Uh, 
Well, it's getting pretty damn close for most everybody at this point. Yeah, pretty much everybody. Yeah, but you know, you think hummingbirds. You think hummingbirds, and and then we've got our Orioles. And one of the fun things that you and I, I think both have had experiences with over the last four or five years is we finally, after years of trying, got Orioles coming in on a regular basis. Yes. In large part to grape jelly and or oranges that we put out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those are your prime targets, but there's some secrets in regards to nectar feeding and jelly and jelly feeding. Yeah. Yeah. And oranges too. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Uh, Like you alluded to hummingbirds and nectar. Uh, everyone equates those, but when you, you put out that nectar, uh, there are other birds that will come to that nectar, and orioles, we know, are one of those birds that will oftentimes feed from similar feeders, as long as they can access your hummingbird feeder, mm-hmm. the port's big enough. Right. But then there are some other birds that actually enjoy nectar that uh, they may not be hitting it as often as the hummingbird or the oriole, but it's really fun to see when, like, a a chickadee comes in and drinks nectar. But what about a woodpecker? Who knew that woodpeckers actually like nectar? Well, <laughs> if I'm a sap sucker, not that mm-hmm. I'm going to come to your feeder, but that's a woodpecker that likes sweet sap. Indeed. Hence hence the name, sap sucker. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. You know, that that sweet little sap, it's not as sweet as flower nectar is going to be, but they do. They drill little what would be called well holes, and each of the sap suckers have different patterns that they'll drill on a tree, just enough that it's not hurting the tree, but it lets some sap come out, and they drink some of that that nectar. (laughs) They drink some of that sap. Um, But then that sap also helps attract insects that then either get trapped in the sap or they're flying around the sap. And then, hey, you know, the uh, the sap suckers come back and, and eat on the insects. But little known secret, so do hummingbirds and a few other birds like warblers. So pretty interesting there. But we know that downy woodpeckers, downy woodpeckers are pretty much everywhere in North America. They actually like to drink nectar. And I don't, I'm not necessarily seen woodpeckers drinking out of flowers now there's no reason they can't be drinking out of tree flowers but i have seen them drink out of hummingbird feeders before i think red bellies too occasionally will will come in red bellies have definitely have a sweet tooth in my opinion Mm -hmm. and and i think you'll see them coming in there but yeah i think that i want to circle back to the uh to the sap sucker because that is such a cool bird and and I don't if you ever get a chance if you're in the in the and you know there are what five I'm gonna I'm gonna find out here I think there's five species of sapsuckers in North America four different sapsucker species in North America but the bottom line is you know by drilling those little sap wells into the side of the tree and and, and what's cool is when you know you're out walking around on a trail in a woodland somewhere and you see this tree that literally looks like somebody took a uh, an automatic weapon, a machine gun or something, and just went back and forth, a line to the right, line to the left, line to the, you know, line to the right. And they're just full of holes, but they're spaced far enough apart that it really doesn't cause the tree any kind of, it doesn't curl the tree or kill the tree. But the activity, I've got a tree in my yard that is uh, a favorite, and, and I see the sapsuckers on a regular basis, and, and it is full of holes. 
And it has been interesting for me to watch all the different, like you're saying, the downy woodpeckers have come to those holes. Mm-hmm. I've seen different warblers go to those holes. Right. Check them out. You know, yellow throated warbler, uh, yellow rump warbler. So, you know, there, there are definitely a lot of birds that have a sweet tooth. So, <laughs> Brian, I never thought about it, but you're kind of a sap sucker yourself with your maple sugaring that you do. <laughs> there you go, John. <laughs> Out there tapping the wells. <laughs> yeah. You bet John and our family does really enjoy making maple syrup. So thank you, Maple Trees, for your sap. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the pint that you promised me, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's in the mail. There you go. What are some of the other secrets when it comes to that kind of uh, offering in your backyard? Oh, I tell you what, jelly, part of my nectar station is I definitely put some great jelly out, uh, put little bits out at a time. And I'm uh, just amazed every spring at the number of different species that show up. Um, a lot of times people know that Orioles really enjoy grape jelly when they when they first come back migration wise. But I also get catbirds, the gray catbird coming in regularly. Um, and I do every, every once in a while I'll get the, the woodpeckers feeding on it. But um, one of my favorites, especially the last few years, are summer tanagers and scarlet tanagers. Uh, just amazing to see them regularly come in and feed on grape jelly. And I think I've mentioned it before. I know you and I have talked about it, but again, I, I have a lot of water around me. I've got stream mm-hmm. leading into a creek, leading into a lake that are literally borders my property. And so I have put up nesting boxes for prothonotary warblers. Yes. Which is, you have to go and look at a picture of a prothonotary warbler. They are just this sun yellow color that just... They're so beautiful. And, it's and almost like they glow in the dark. They're so it, 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 it is almost. <laughs> and they, believe it or not, are a warbler that is a nesting box user. They are cavity nesting warbler. Typically, they would nest in, in old woodpecker holes or other cavities and trees that are literally hanging over or adjacent to creeks and streams. <laughs> and so I have put nesting boxes, and you can find you know nesting boxes for them, specifically made for prothonotary. So I've put nesting boxes up uh, for years now and have nesting prothonotary warblers. So that is so cool. And guess what they come to? Grape jelly? Grape jelly. Absolutely come in. It's not, you know, they're not like, you know, day in and day out all day long. It's like I'll see them maybe two to four times a day. They'll pop Uh in, hit the jelly, and fly back to the nesting box or wherever they're going. So... It, it, how cool is that to have That's, a sonitary yeah. warbler coming in your backyard and you're sitting, you know, 12 feet away watching them come to the grape jelly? That That is pretty darn cool. That's pretty exciting. That is pretty exciting. So, John, I know you have had great success with orange halves. Um, I've had some some success, but you you really went after <laughs> trying to get the birds with the oranges. It's a disease. I <laughs> Yeah, that was one of my main targets to, you know, it took me years to get the Orioles to come down to my feeders. And, it, you know, some people put their feeders out and they get them the next day, literally, you know, just it, mm-hmm. it, 
experience will vary with a lot of different people and depending on your location, the number of birds in your area, the habitat, various other things. For me, I don't know what the deal was, but it just took me years. And one of the ways I would do it, and I'm sure all my neighbors looked at me like, oh gosh, there goes John again, sticking oranges all over the yard. Wonder why he's doing that. But that's just the bottom line. I did. I'd, I'd have my oranges and I'd stick them on limbs and I'd put them on the top of my fence and, and you know, put them in trays on the on the feeding station and, you know, all kinds of different locations. We've got a couple of neat little things that are made to hold orange, uh, you know, feeders that are made to hold orange slices and that type of thing. And it did. It took for years. But then finally, 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 they started producing. And one of the cool things for me was that, yeah, not only did they use it, uh, but I started seeing other birds coming in. You know, the red-bellied woodpecker must have a really sweet tooth. Mm, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it, it was coming to it and, and still does come to them on a pretty regular basis when I put them out during the, uh, during the uh, spring and summer. Uh, occasional catbird, not a lot, but occasionally the catbird will stop by and, and check that out. So, again, another just a fun thing to do and try in the springtime to see what happens in your own backyard. Yeah, definitely. And for me... It was when they started finding the jelly, they finally started going to the oranges. Ah, yeah. Now, I, I did not inundate my yard as much <laughs> as you did with the orange decorations. Well, you're in a much classier <laughs> neighborhood than me, so, you know. <laughs> but just as wonderful results. So, so much fun to see who comes in and feeds on it. I think we maybe we should call it the the sugar station, you know. The, oh, there you uh, go. The, yeah, yeah, because it's all kinds of different sugar offerings. But uh, we've got a few other little secrets we could share with people. Uh, and again, it's about another yellow bird. Yeah, those fun little yellow birds. A lot of they actually have a lot of nicknames: uh, wild canary, uh, wild little parakeets. Um, more well known as goldfinches, mm-hmm, I think, mm-hmm. or at least becoming oh, yeah. more and more appropriately yeah. known as a common name of goldfinches. Uh, but oh yeah, American goldfinches and lesser goldfinches—fun little yellow birds in the yard. Uh, but they do have some secrets, um, and and it's more about nesting, or maybe even um, for the specifically the American goldfinch, why they look the way they do at the time of year. You and I both and lots of other people, you know, we set our feeders up. We watch them at, every day, at least some part of the day when we're home. And you really notice the change in their coloration probably as much as any other bird out there. Mm-hmm. In the wintertime, they're that dull, olive, drabish color. Come spring and summer, they turn into this bright lemon yellow bird with black crown and jet black wings. And, you know, they're just becoming like a totally... You know, there are literally people who don't realize that they're the same bird. Just yeah, the these, American goldfinch. Yeah, yeah. And oh, these man, two, just the yeah, changes. Two different plumages. Yeah. So but yeah, their the, cousin, the lesser goldfinch, yeah, yeah. doesn't do yeah. that action of changing that drastically like yeah. that. They just, they pretty much stay the same coloration year-round. Well, for me, it's kind of a mystery, whether it's a secret or a mystery, I'm not sure, but the, <laughs> it's... It's kind of this mystery in the sense of, you know, I, I've actually seen in January mm-hmm. the start of the change on the male goldfinch in regards to you start seeing a little one or two feathers of black showing up in their crown, mm-hmm. maybe one or two little yellow feathers showing in their, in their uh, shoulder area. And, and, you know, you realize, man, they're starting to molt already, and it's like late right. January. It's like, what, right. what, what sense does that make? 
And then the more amazing thing is, this is a bird that doesn't nest until July at the earliest mm-hmm. in, in some areas, a little later in other areas. So and and a little earlier, yeah. In very few other areas, yeah, yeah. It's so variable. But the bottom line is, they're a late season nester, but they're mm-hmm. one of the very first to start falling, you know, uh, uh, molting into their entire breeding plumage. It's like, yeah. why? It's crazy because <laughs> that doesn't follow the norm of other bird species. Yeah, yeah. But it's very obviously they're going through a molt, and then one of the cool things. You know, birds replace their feathers through a process called molting. And they literally exchange, most birds in the fall will literally replace every single feather on their Mm -hmm. entire being, their entire body. Not just the body feathers on their chest and back, but also their flight feathers, you know, their tail feathers. Every single Mm -hmm. feather in the fall gets replaced. That's when the gold... And it can take weeks. Yeah. it oh, takes yeah. weeks for all of that to happen because they don't just drop all their feathers and regrow them. You don't ever see a <laughs> fully naked bird, which if you ever saw a fully naked bird, that is one to. no, it's one weird looking little creature. So yeah. it's probably a good that they yeah yeah <laughs> they do that process. We we should be thankful. <laughs> yes, indeed. But the goldfinches, you know, did they just decide one day, hey guys, you know what? Uh, we're we're going to change this up. So the, that that big complete molt in the fall is when our goldfinches turn into that olive drab of bird, mm-hmm. the not so goldfinch. And then in the spring, when it gets ready for the breeding season, or way before the breeding well, season, when everyone else is getting ready, <laughs> yeah, you know, they only molt the feathers that are on their body. They retain the flight feathers, the wing feathers, and the tail feathers. The only mm-hmm. ones that they actually replace are the ones that are on their body. And so that's the process that they go through in the springtime to get that beautiful plumage to go into the breeding season. But again, the mystery, the secret. And, and, and how many, seven months later? Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's, I, I it's still, and although I have read that they, they do actually pair bond much earlier than that. Mm-hmm. that they seem know, they, to be pair bonding. Yeah. Yeah. Not too far yeah. after the turn of the year. So maybe they just have to look really dapper when they're getting ready to pair bond. And then they hang go. out together for months before they actually start just, nesting. Yeah, a so, couple, yeah. three, four months. Yeah, and the reason they're nesting, obviously, is, is yeah, food well, for the young. Well, and that's that. That's one of those secrets about why they wait so long. Yeah. Well, in many respects, <laughs> birds, birds wait until there's enough food to feed their babies. Yeah. But goldfinches, their, their secret is goldfinches, even though they're a vegetarian bird and house finches are a vegetarian bird. And, you know, most of our finches are vegetarian birds. But those vegetarian birds, when they have nestlings, those little babies in the nest, they're feeding them insects because little babies need a ton of protein. Yeah. Uh, we were recently talking with uh, an, an avian nutritionist mm-hmm. who said... You know, a sparrow's doubling their weight every two to three days. Yeah. Their size and weight as when they're in the nest. I mean, talk about fast growth. You need yeah. a ton of protein yeah. and food just to, to grow that fast. Uh, and so all of these finches will feed insects to their babies, but not the American goldfinch. Yeah. They don't feed them insects. They still feed them seeds. And in the springtime, you don't have a ton of seeds out there just yet. So they actually wait until there's enough seeds and it's the different composite plant seeds. And you think a really, really excellent example would be like sunflower or the the bane of many yards, dandelions. 
that's a composite flower plant. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just give people an example of composite flower seeds. Thistle is another really excellent one, and thistle is one of the main ones they wait for. Yeah. Because there's so many seeds, plus they use the, the down to line their nest, make a nice little soft nest. Now, there are some places in the West where lesser goldfinches and even American goldfinches will wait maybe a little bit later in spring than most of our nesting songbirds, but they'll still nest starting in the springtime mm-hmm. because they have enough of those composite seed plants to be able to feed their babies. Yeah. So again, secrets and setups. One of the things to consider yeah. right now with all the stuff we just talked about is setup wise, <laughs> mm-hmm. the, you know, Brian, you just mentioned, we were talking with a, a pretty renowned avian nutritionist this morning and, and you know, the second high energy, you know, nesting is super high energy mm-hmm. or with the huge energy demands to be successful. The other one is molting. They yes. need lots and lots of food and lots of energy and lots of protein to successfully molt. So right now with the goldfinches and if you have American goldfinches in your area and they eat like they're going crazy, I mean, <laughs> each out of you, house and home. <laughs> yeah, if you want to see more goldfinches and longer views of your goldfinches, this mm-hmm. is the time of the year to change your setup. If you don't already have some Niger seed, you know, or some, uh, uh, small fine chips, fine sunflower chip chips, or mm-hmm. a blend of both of those. Get those out in your backyard in a nice thistle tube, some type of a finch feeder, and hopefully, you know, they'll come a running. I know I, I've been watching my feeders, and it is not unusual throughout the course of the day to have every single uh, perch on my feeders with American goldfinches feeding on the uh, finch blend I have in the uh, finch feeder. So, yeah, it's a really good change to make in the springtime when these guys are molting. Yep. Watching these things happen, and now you know why they're happening. Another fun little springtime (laughs) secret where you get a sneak peek. It's not much of a secret anymore, (laughs) is it? (laughs) Well, but the excellent part is you actually get to, you get that sneak peek into the secret lives of a barred owl. Yeah, the WBU barred owl camera. I mean, gosh, Brian, I've lost track. How many years have we been? 15, maybe? It's amazing track record on this nest. And to give the backstory, the other secret, this is this is in the backyard of our owner and founder, Jim Carpenter's house. Mm-hmm. And he does all yes. the work to make sure that the cameras are set up and everything else. And it's just an amazing effort on his part to bring this live nesting of barn owls in his own backyard. And he has a camera in the box. He has a camera on the outside of the box. The views and information that you see from that is just unbelievable. And I don't know about you, Brian, but I have learned so much about barred owl behavior oh, and nesting yeah. behavior, obviously, yeah. by watching this camera over the years. It is unbel- it's rewritten, for me anyway, it's rewritten mm-hmm. what I thought about these owls and, and their behavior in many, many cases. You could go back and listen to episode 24, Look Who's Back, because we talked a lot about the owl cam and how really cool this is that these owls have been coming to Jim's backyard for years and we've had this owl cam up it's i think it's well over eight years now for the owl cam itself and everything we're learning you know i gotta i gotta tell you that i get so excited to watch how well dad takes care of mom and the owlets and just how amazing mama owl is and how 
she sits with those, number one, the eggs, and then two, the, the owlets for so very long and, and takes such amazing care of them. And that, that couple, um, just the amount of care that they do to take care of these little babies has been amazing. So we kind of figure, who do you think? Mom is the same owl this entire time because she's come back again and again and again. I don't have a, you know, that, that is, I would love to get a bird band on that owl, but we don't want to do anything to scare her off, scare her off or anything like that. Not that banding typically does that, but we want to absolutely make sure that she keeps coming back. So whether she's the original owl that's, you know, been nesting in the box all along, very, very good possibility actually. Mm -hmm. Or if it's the offspring of the mom at some point, you know, maybe the, the mom, you know, didn't, didn't make, make it through the season and you know the box is sitting there empty and an offspring came in and and claimed it for you know their their nesting true, true. hard to tell don't know for sure uh, you certainly can't tell from looks right. um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not like where she's wearing a name tag or... yeah but it has been a fascinating glimpse into the to, to the life of those birds just unbelievable oh yeah you know um if anyone has not seen this owl cam yet just to give you an idea that my wife um, when she found out that the Alcan was back because they actually started nesting a little earlier than they have been um, in years past, uh, she was ecstatic. And she's like, it's my favorite thing in the spring. I get to watch these owls, these little owlets as they grow. And it is so exciting. And she just gets really geeked out about it. And I didn't realize just how excited she was about the Alcan. And she's not the only one. No, you, my wife, you know, she's retired now, but my wife uh, taught preschool for years. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she did was to have during the season, yeah, that, that, again, this has been going on for years. She would put a, a tablet, you know, up with that website with the camera mm-hmm. on it. And the kids would just be, they, you know, they just became so enamored with what was going on in that nest box. And then when the, the outlets, the, the little babies hatched out, they were just mesmerized by watching, you know, what was going on in that nest box. It was the biggest hit of the year for her every year, year after year. So uh, there are a lot of people. If you've not been looking at it, you need to go check it out. It's pretty cool. Oh, definitely. So we're going to have the links in our show notes, but it's wbu.com slash owl dash cam. And so you can go to the wbu.com website, see the owl cam. we got a whole page on it. And what's really fun is we partner with the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, mm-hmm. and they help us to maintain a Twitter page on the WBU Bard Owl Cam. So you can find it there too, all the links um, through the show notes and such. But they do video clips of highlights of things that have been happening. Um, at the time of us recording this podcast, we have one baby owl that's already been hatched, and we have another one that you can see the egg is already pipped. And love those science and, words. And, and what does what does pip what does pip mean? <laughs> Pipped is when the little the Lord, little, Lord of the Rings or what? That's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pippin and Meriadoc. Um, it's when, <laughs> it's when the little babies inside the the egg they have what's called a little beak tooth, and they can they hit that against the eggshell to bust open a little hole, so they can then eventually work their way out of the egg and emerge into the world as a nestling. And it's really adorable to be able to see that. And yeah. so you get to see different videos like that of these fun little bits, uh, the, just the life of the owls as it's going on. Um, 
it's, it's a wonderful secret sneak peek into what's happening. Yeah, and these things should be hanging around, give or take, in that nest box. Give or take. You know, they're they're in the nest box four to five weeks before they fledge. They come out, and, and um, they're not actually able to fly very well at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they do come yeah. out, and for a couple of weeks, they do what they call branching. Again, if you've not watched this, you've got a couple, four weeks here. You know, it's probably three to four weeks at this point to be able to watch them. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I'd like to give a big nod to Sarah at our Indianapolis Wild Birds Unlimited store. She was uh, kind of the person that put the bug in my ear about looking at our nectar feeding stations from the point of view of some of those unusual birds that come to it. Not just the Orioles and the hummingbirds, but some of those other birds that take advantage of that. She she was really wanting us to cover that. So uh, thank you, Sarah. Well, John, I love that. And, you know, that's why I say at the end of every episode, rate and review us because we do want to hear what you have to say. So love that feedback. All right, Brian. I think we've spilled enough secrets for one day. What do you think? I hope everyone enjoyed what they heard, but also you're going to put some of those into practice and and just see who's going to show up. You know, why not? Have some fun with it and, you know, rate and review us, but also, hey, write down Who's showing up in your yard? We would love to hear, especially if it's brand new. You've never had them in your yard before. Let us know. Join us next time for our podcast about hummingbirds. It's really all about mom. So until that visit, Brian and I are going to continue to let nature be our guide. So please take care and be safe. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nature Centered. To subscribe to this podcast, for show notes, or to connect with the Wild Birds Unlimited store nearest you, visit wbu.com slash podcast. Until we meet again, take some time to relax, enjoy the birds, get out in your backyard, and stay nature-centered. <laughs>